July 21st, 2019, the Nationals finish off a split in Atlanta with a disappointing 7-1 loss and lose Ryan Zimmerman to another bout of plantar fasciitis. We talk about Zim's legacy in D.C. Plus, the Giants built a team ready to sell, but they're accidentally in contention. We talk about their difficult decision ahead. From Bethesda, Maryland, it's Jacob Rash. From New York, New York, it's Johnny Rash. This is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John, special late night edition. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So the Nationals uh, come off a week in which they won three games, and then, you know, those three games were good. It's always mm-hmm. good to win. But then they lost three games, and those, were less those good. three games were less good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so today, they finished off their series against the Braves, a big series with a split. Uh, they lost 7-1. to one. Uh, The Ooh. big story of the game was uh, the fact that they didn't score off of Kevin Gossman for seven innings, and the fact that the bullpen gave up four runs. Yeah. Uh, as the bullpen loves to do, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, this entire week, uh, so the... The Nationals snapped today two streaks, uh, one, uh, well, I guess just one streak. I don't know what the other streak was. Nope, never mind. I do have the second streak. So today, uh, yeah. for the first time since June 15th, a span of 27 games, uh, the Nationals had a starting pitcher who got hung with a loss, uh, which was the longest streak in baseball history since the 1916 New York Giants, and they, uh, for the first time in 27 games, didn't have a lead or were tied after the seventh inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, this is really the first game that you sort of can't really pin on the bullpen, but the bullpen no. still played a, a role in the loss anyway. It was a, it was uh, just a weird game, because it wasn't like we weren't making good contact off Gosman, because we were. Uh, Rendon had three warning track shots, almost home runs, or not the first one, but he had two deep balls, you know, one was robbed by Enciarte on, on, on a pop-up in the uh, shallow fly ball, but he right. got nothing, um, Eaton hit the ball well a couple times, there were a lot of hard-hit balls off Gosman, it's just nothing fell, and no. and then... And to, to Gosman's credit, he was around the plate all day, Yeah, uh, and, you know, he got lucky that when they hit it hard, they hit it at people. But he was still putting himself in a position to get outs because he wasn't falling behind hitters. Yeah. Uh, but Joe Ross, Ross a lot. Yeah. Ross fell behind a lot of hitters. I think he gave a better start than we all anticipated out of him. Three runs yeah. and five and a third, six strikeouts. Uh, but he's not all the way back. Uh, no. The slider actually looked better from the after the first inning, but it just it doesn't have the same bite. Or break. Uh, he used to have this ability back in 2015 uh, to throw multiple different versions of his slider, where he would have one that would sweep and one that would come down, and it was sort of the way that he would uh, counter the fact that he only had two pitches as a starter. But uh, if he had that ability back then, he doesn't seem to have it anymore. the The velocity's there. The sink on the fastball doesn't seem to be the bite on the slider. I mean, it's just a good reminder that not everyone comes back fully healthy and, you know, the same pitcher that they were 
after Tommy John surgery. No. And also, you know, speaking of injuries, uh, Ryan Zimmerman got hurt tonight. Uh, yeah. Another heel injury. I have a feeling that might be his last hit on that play. His last <sighs> major league hit. I don't, I don't know if I want to be that dramatic about it. I mean, the truth is, I mean, thinking about it, it's now the end of July. Yeah. Uh, Took him a while to come back from the last one. This is a re-aggravation, which never heals quicker. Right. I mean, if it if it only takes him as long as it took the last time, he might come back at the very end of the year. But, I mean, yeah, I I don't want to turn this podcast into an appreciation of Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, but it's important to remember the player that he was yeah. before all of the injuries. I mean, he was a true five-tool player with, I mean, frankly... If you go by war alone, what could be described as, you know, at the end of 2010, maybe an outside shot at the Hall of Fame. Uh, and then the injuries started collecting. Uh, the shoulder, I, I mean, it, you could say that the the heel injury is what ended his career. Yeah, uh, but the shoulder but injury. But the, the shoulder injury is what sort of robbed him of what made him just such a fun player to watch. It just, you know, even when he was hitting... Uh, over the course of the last, you know, couple of years of his career, it just it wasn't the same because, uh, you know, every time he would get the ball and, and have to throw it, uh, you would cringe and just pray that somehow his soft toss lob would find a glove or at least hit a base runner and not result in an error. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, I mean, it's so hard to describe the player that he was, the amount of confidence you'd have in any ball that was hit down to third base, that he would scoop it up. And, I mean, there was a year in which he started, not turned, started 11 double plays. Uh, As in he would, I mean, just, I don't think that's the right statistic. I think, no, he turned, not started 11 double plays. Yes, sorry, flipped that around in my head. Uh, but he was, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, and I'm sorry if this makes any of our listeners feel old, but uh, when me and Johnny were in the backyard playing, uh, you know, throwing the ball around, we would practice coming down low and going sidearm like Zim did when he would charge a ball. I mean, it was, it was just the coolest thing because I've never seen, he just had this way of getting so low to the ground and just transferring as fast as as anyone I've ever seen. And he would always use the glove. I mean, my enduring image of Zimmerman as a third baseman is a weak chopper towards third. He would use the glove, but it wouldn't even matter that he used the glove because he'd get it out and somehow always land on on the foot that, like, made it so that he could transfer and throw to first all in one fluid motion. And it was just... It was so incredible to watch. Yeah. Uh, and, and listen, in a, in a time when, you know, Nationals baseball is very lackluster, right. he was the reason to watch. He was a player to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and, you know, we got that, that amazing 2017 out of him where it yeah. was just a, it wasn't like a resurgence, but it was just like, like an old friend was hanging around and, you know, making, mm-hmm. making one last visit and he got yeah. to be an all-star again. I mean, he's 35 years old. He's got two bad heels. He's got a bad shoulder. 
He's got dozens of other injuries, nicks and bruises. And in the era of never signing anyone old uh, to any amount of contract, I mean, Evan Gaddis didn't even get a contract this year, not even a minor league deal. Denard Spann didn't. I mean, you got to imagine that this might be the last that we see of Ryan Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it's, I mean, it's sad. It's he's sad, still, yeah, it's a sad ending. He's younger than Max Scherzer. That's insane. Uh, it's, it's hard to think about. Yeah. But it's just, uh, I mean, I don't know. He's yeah. the first player whose jersey I ever owned. Uh, oh, that's not just, true. You had a Jose Vidro jersey. Jose Guillen. Uh, Guillen, you had a Guillen. I had a Guillen jersey, uh, yeah. but it was one of those cheap knockoffs. Zimmerman's jersey was the first real jersey I ever owned. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it's just, it's hard to sum up what a guy like that means to a, a franchise that doesn't really have a lot of history. Uh, you know, when you have to cling to the guys like Levon Hernandez, uh, you know, it's just, Zim didn't have the career that he should have had, that he had the talent to have because of all the injuries. Uh, but he still, he means a lot to this city. Uh, means yeah. a lot to baseball in this city. And it's sad to see it end like this, although unsurprising. Yeah. So we'll probably do it more on Zim. I mean, this is just Assum- speculation. And right. Is- Assuming he actually is dead, which yeah. is a pretty decent assumption given yeah. the injury. But- yeah, so it's sad, but you know, unfortunately, for it's not the worst injury to happen to this team. I saw people talking about you know taking away from the you know emotional side of baseball, looking back at the baseball side of baseball. You know, people saying uh, that the Nats could go after a first baseman. I don't see the need for that. This no. team is already so deep at first, and we have so many other issues. So. You know, with Adams, Kendrick, and Paro, all who can play first, you don't really need another first baseman. Um, right. They've got so they've got plenty of ways to cover. Plus, this means that Kendrick can see the field more often, which, which is good. Yeah, he hasn't I, been seeing enough of the no, field no. lately. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's from a baseball perspective, he's the player the Nats could most afford to lose, and mm-hmm. the player you would most expect the Nats to lose. Yeah. But it's still something to mourn. Yeah. It's uh, it's sad, but moving so going, you know, if the Nats are going to trade for a first baseman. There are plenty of other think players the Nats could trade for. We saw from this weekend, you know, the bullpen is still has always been an issue with this team. It's the known, it's the most widely known thing in all of baseball that this bullpen is not right. That good. Well, and, I mean, yes, yes, the bullpen is not that good, but uh, it's not just the bullpen. Uh, we also saw a couple of games that were really. Really poorly managed by Davey Martinez. Yeah, we've kind who, of laid off him for a while, but... Yeah, winning will do that. But, uh, I mean, I haven't had my opinion of him change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truth is that Davey Martinez seems like a very genial, nice guy that players seem to like a lot. Uh, or, at the very least, like the kind of manager who won't interrupt clubhouse chemistry as it develops. Uh mm-hmm. I mean, he, you know, has tried to force clubhouse chemistry in the past, but, uh, you know, with the cabbage thing, uh, with the camels, sort yeah. of too cute by half type stuff, but he doesn't seem to 
step on anyone's toes and make things more miserable. Uh, you know, he's sort of let the Nats veteran leadership, you know, the Paras, Dozier's, uh, and Rodney's of the world take over the clubhouse. Uh, but from a baseball managerial standpoint, he is, I mean, he's just so bad at, at communicating with his relievers. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, tactical aside, but he made, he made some terrible tactical decisions. But, I mean, if you look at Wednesday's game, uh, or, yeah, Wednesday's game, uh, you've got seventh inning against the Orioles, 2-1 lead. Obviously, the Nats should have scored a lot more runs off of uh, Aaron Brooks and Gabriel Inoa. But uh, they come into the seventh inning with a 2-1 lead. And Davey goes to Wander Suero. And Suero, uh, unbeknownst to us at the time, but known to Martinez, uh, was dealing with some sort of personal issue. Uh, he just gotten some terrible personal news earlier in that game, earlier in that day. And... You know, he said in post game that his head wasn't where it was supposed to be, uh, and yet he was sent out there to pitch anyway. And that's that's the kind of thing that if you're a manager, you have to do a better job factoring into your decision making. You have to. It, there have been times when Davey has gone to relievers who, I mean, this is an extreme circumstance, but there have been times when Davey has gone to relievers who have said later that they were tired. I mean, there's been a moment this season when Sean Doolittle has had to come to the media and say, I was exhausted in order mm-hmm. to get time off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really appalling how bad Davies' reliever communication is. I mean, it's gotten two players mutinied off the nets because they, mm-hmm. they dared to complain about it. Uh, two players who... It could have been very useful to a... Well, uh, especially, you know, Brendan Kinsler this year. Yep, ERA uh, under two, and he still was under contract. Yeah, so uh, it's just... Yeah. It's just, you know, it's been the common theme. Not that Davey doesn't have the best, you know, relievers to throw out there. No, but he's got he's, crap. He, it's a poor decision-making with poor options. So it's a loss, lose-lose, really, for all right. involved. He's so, got crap, and he's not exactly making crap still. Yeah. Uh, and obviously on Friday, uh, we, you know, we should at least talk about the, the horrificness of David's decision making there when the Nats tie the game on the Victor Robles yeah. home run with two outs in the ninth. He gets Doolittle up briefly in case they take the lead. Sticks with Rodney for the first two right-handed batters, which is a, a bad decision because he's 42 years old, uh, but not an indefensible one. But then sticks with Rodney to face Freeman with two on and nobody out, walks him, sticks with Rodney to face Donaldson with the bases loaded, nobody out, game-winning single. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, once – the the Braves order is structured so that the first four hitters in the lineup are the best four. Uh, and – you you can't get to a tenth inning without getting through the bottom of the ninth. I mean the the play. I mean I'm not an an absolutist in saying that closers have to pitch the bottom of the ninth inning in a tie game, but when it comes to the you know 
the best part of the order, the heart of the mm-hmm. order, that's when you really got to throw the book out the window and, and do it. Yeah. Uh, it, but it, it seems like more often than not, I, I think this all is tonight even too, that Davey kind of goes out there and hopes for a very specific scenario and it's the most unlikely scenario or one of the more unlikely scenarios, but he hopes it happens. And sometimes it does and you're like, oh, wow, that I can't believe that worked out. Such as yesterday throwing Wander Swirl for two innings and then also Rodney after pitching 35 pitches the night before. Happening it to work out. But tonight you saw him stretch Ross a little foot longer and Ross gave up a home run. And then yeah. you saw you know how he managed on Friday, hoping that he could stretch Rodney out for a little longer. And it completely backfired. And so sometimes his luck, sometimes luck goes his way, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, and, I, and I mean, you look at Saturday though, and you got to blame that less on Dave. I mean, obviously nothing to blame because the Nets won and all the guys pitched well. But I mean, you got to blame that less on Davey and more on the lack of options. I mean, yeah. I I don't know who you go to in the seventh if not Swero. I mean, again, yeah. it was the heart of the order, but it's just, I mean. He is making the worst out of a bad situation, but you know, let's let's not forget that it's a bad situation. It is. The Nats have the, the second most reliable reliever on the Nats right now is a 42-year-old who got cut from a team that needs bullpen help. Yeah. Uh, well, so that brings us to our next topic. Um, so we talked about this a lot last week about the Nats trade options, and it got a lot more complicated this week. Uh, with the Giants really mucking things up by winning a lot. Those uh, jerks. Those jerks, how dare they win? Uh, if you haven't been paying attention to the Giants, they're up to 500 after taking three, uh, taking the series from the Mets. They're at 50 Three out of 50. four. Yep. Uh, they won today on a Mike Yastrzemski walk-off home run. Yep. Uh, in Go the Iron bottom Birds. of the 12th inning. Go Ironbirds. 2013 Ironbirds. Yeah. In case you didn't know, I called games for them. I'm very important. Yes. Uh, so, they sit two and a half games back of the wild card. And, you know, there's they're in the hunt. They're really in it. There are a few teams ahead of them. The Diamondbacks, the Phillies, the Cardinals are all between them and the Brewers right now. But, you know, they're only three games back of us. It's yep. re- So, the question is, do they hold their guys or do they go for it or uh, do they trade them away and you know the guys they have available or could be available Madison Bumpgarner on an expiring contract Will Smith on an expiring contract so those are guys who you might expect them to trade Bumpgarner is a different story but we'll talk about that in a second but then they also have some cost-controlled guys like Sam Dyson uh, who is under contract for another year and a half you have well, not not cost controlled, but or club co- controlled c- club controlled guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have uh, Reyes Maranta, who is controlled for a few more years. He's uh, I think four more years. Yep. Uh, and then you have Tony Watson, who I don't, is definitely is under control for next year with a oh no he has a player option next year. So yeah, no he's it was a two year deal that yeah. he signed. Yeah. So it but he's still not expensive. He's cheap. He's cost controlled. Right. So, uh, the yeah, Giants... they have a lot of appealing options. They have the best bullpen in baseball right now, mm-hmm. uh, which on the one hand is a, a reason for them not to sell because they've got a strength where every other team has weakness. Yes. But that's, that's double-edged. That's a reason not to sell and a reason to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, what do you think? Do you think they should sell? I mean, and then they also have Bumpgarner, who I've mentioned. 
but that's a whole different story. What do you think about him? I think the problem with selling Madison Bumgarner when you're in contention like this is the, the Giants have, for the longest time, prided themselves on being a team that doesn't trade away fan favorites. And apart from Buster Posey, Bumgarner is the most integral piece left of that 10, 12, 14, 3 championship run. I mean, he is the sort of the best pitcher in postseason baseball history, uh, author of one of the most iconic moments in Giants franchise history and in baseball history. Uh, and it's just, I mean, I don't know how much the fact that they're winning now factors into that equation. Uh, because it was always going to be tough to trade Bumgarner, especially for the diminished return that you're likely to get for a half season of a guy whose skills maybe are eroding a little bit, although he threw uh, nine innings uh, this Friday uh, of one-run baseball. Uh, it was sort mm -hmm. of a vintage Bumgarner performance, 94 pitches. Uh, but, I mean... <sighs> The problem here is with Bumgarner, there is almost no chance that the players that you get back are going to be as iconic as Bumgarner. Mm -hmm. I mean, or anywhere near as iconic. I mean, that the best you can hope for is maybe useful players on another championship team uh, or another playoff contending team. I mean, the, the problem is, you know... You plan for the future, but the future is colored by the past. And obviously, those players are more likely than Bumgarner, because Bumgarner's on an expiring contract, to be contributors to the next good Giants team. But, I mean, I, I don't know if that's worth it. Uh, yeah. And it's not, it's not really a baseball decision, uh, you know, broadly speaking. It's not really a... A cold X's and O's, wins and losses type decision is what mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a, you know, it's it's a feel thing. Uh, and that's honestly one of the things I like about the Giants. Uh, this is an entertainment industry. It's not just a success industry or a, you know, best baseball team industry. Uh, and the Giants seem to understand that. And they have a, a sort of policy of locking up all the guys that, our fan favorites are, are remembered by fans. I mean, they kept Angel Pagan around a lot longer than he was an actually useful player. Uh, they've signed Posey, Crawford, Baumgartner, uh, Kane, Belt. and even Lincecum uh, and Belt, all to extensions that have kept them around. Mm -hmm. uh, they they understand that players or that that fans like seeing names. I mean, it's especially true when. You've got names that are associated with so much winning and so much success. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, they they still have to weigh that against the possibility that they won't get anything for Bumgarner. He'll walk. And a possibility that they might have missed out on a useful contributor to yeah. their next winning team. So I think what this does for the Giants is it really opens up a lot of possibilities for them, for Bumgarner specifically. Mm -hmm. I think if I'm them, I'm selling on the bullpen guys. I think you sell on the bullpen, guys. You see what you have from there. You can get some useful pieces for your future. Uh, Smith is going to get you, I mean, not a Andrew Miller, uh, Earl's Chapman Hall, but he'll get you a nice haul 
uh, because so many guys need so many teams need a guy like Will Smith. Uh, I think Tony Watson will get you a good haul because he's cost control uh, so cheap. And I think um, Sam Dyson, because of his his team control or years of, of control, is an the extra year. pickup too. Yeah, yeah. So I, think I mean, those that's... guys will get you good things. But I think with Bumgarner, you can ask for a lot with him and play your odds. So July thirty first isn't a must. He must be off the team by July thirty first. You see what you can get for him by July thirty first. You could probably get yourself a Clint Frazier. Um, you could. De- I mean, you could. Pr- I think Clint Frazier is a very level ask for him you can ask for more than that too i think i mean i don't know uh i think the yankees are trying to sell frazier i think it's a perfect fit um yeah i think so you've got this problem here generally where the player that the giants are trying to trade Bumgarner, is worth a lot more to them than he is to another team yes if you look if you look on pure numbers but I think people are going to take his postseason acumen into consideration right. when getting him. I mean, could yeah. you imagine? I mean, here's an also thing for them keeping him is that he's probably your pitcher in a one-game playoff. And that's the likely scenario if the Giants were to make the playoffs. In fact, it's probably the only scenario if the Giants make the playoffs. Yeah. They're in a one-game playoff. And so, you know, that's a pro for them keeping him is that in case that happens, you have the perfect pitcher. Right. Uh I mean, and I would obviously, uh, I, frankly, I would look to sell Samarja before I sold uh, Baumgartner. But you're not going to get anything for Samarja because he's still got a year and a half left on that contract, and and is owed something like twenty four, twenty five million. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be a hard sell, even if he's pitching pretty well this year. Um, it's just, yeah, I don't. I mean. I don't know. If I were a Giants fan, I don't know what I'd want to see. I mean, yeah, I think that he. I, I think as a Giants fan, I would be happy with what, with my scenario. Kind of sell off. I mean, I don't know if I'd be happy, but I would understand because, you know, you do have to look towards the future, and you can go for one less hurrah. This is Bochi's last year. There's a lot of right. sentimental value to winning. To at least making the playoffs this year when nobody's expected you to. And listen, but, the Giants have in the past made the, the playoffs as a wild card team twice. Mm-hmm. They've made the playoffs as a second wild card team and gone on with Madison Bumgarner. And I mean, he has thrown in those two games two complete game shutouts. Yeah. So, you know, you that you could roll your odds that way, but the problem is this team's not good. They no, it's got a lot of holes. Got a lot of holes. Their lineup is awful. They're getting, you know, they're being held together by surprising performances from Mike Yastrzemski and Alex Dickerson. They're relying on Donovan Solano. I mean, that's indicative of anything. I don't know. But yeah. it's, it's this is not a good team. And I would be hesitant to really roll the dice with these guys you're going with. Yeah. I know. I, I, mean, I think you saw, you saw what happened with the, the Rangers this week. The Rangers, you know, last week you were saying, oh, you should hold on to these guys. And they went on a seven-game losing streak. I right. mean, things can change so quickly for a team well, yeah. that's not actually that good. And the Rangers are but a team that wasn't actually that good. They had a lot of good top – they had good pitching talent. You know, the, just like the Giants, they have a strength. And with the Rangers, their strength was the top of the rotation. Right. But the rest of the, the bullpen is bad and the – 
lineup outside like Joey Gallo is not that good. So you're you're and I mean you're that's another team that's being held up by a lot of surprising seasons seasons from people like Hunter Pence, you know, Sinchu right. Chu, who was really rebounded, although he looked good last year too. But uh that's another team, you know, that didn't look that good, no one expected to do well, was doing much better and then fell back to earth very fast. And you know, right. if you're the Giants and I think for the Rangers that was a good case scenario for them. Yes. Them finding out what they actually are before. Well, the I mean, either a seven game losing streak or a seven game winning streak would have exactly. been a good scenario for them. Yeah. Uh, so now they sort of know that, that it's not gonna happen. They've got two teams in between them, uh, in the division. They've got three teams in between them and the wild card. Mm-hmm. So they're likely to sell. Now I'd be interested to see from their perspective, since both of their top tier starters, who are their their biggest assets, are uh, under contract, minor for next year, Lynn for the next two years. It would be interesting to see what their organizational philosophy is if they sell them. I mean, I I would try and sell minor because he's at the apex of his value. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean. It's hard to say uh, with the Giants. I think you're probably right that they should absolutely be trying to sell the bullpen. Uh, and, I mean, the problem is if you sell the bullpen, then what's the point of keeping Bumgarner other than nostalgia? Which mm-hmm. has its value, but it's not the same thing as nostalgia and trying to win. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky game to play. Yeah. Uh, so well, they've got they've got ten more days. Mm-hmm. They've got you know nine more games in between mm-hmm. them and the trade deadline, so they can figure it out. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, the, the worst case scenario for them is that they go like four and four, four and f- uh, five and four, and are still th- three and a half games back, and they're in that really right. awkward position. Right. But, uh, yeah. but I mean, like you said. This whole second wild card has actually served the purpose of devaluing a playoff spot. Yep. Uh, which is it's unfortunate. Yep. Uh, it, it I mean, it's it's been combined with sort of a myop, myopic focus of, of front offices on dollar per war valuations and sort of cutting costs. Uh, so I don't know if it's right to evaluate the effect of the second wild card. Because it hasn't happened in isolation, uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of had that opposite effect of yeah. making teams scared think, to sort of go all out for it. Yeah, there's no real sense of of reason for teams who aren't going to win their division to really be full buyers at the deadline. It's really, I mean, unless you're the Red Sox, who's a team that has to win. Listen, no, I, I heard a story today. Uh, Chris Catello at MassLive.com wrote a story today about how the Red Sox might be considering selling. Really? Uh, yeah, which is shocking to me. It's a team with a $230 million payroll. Like, Maybe I don't know what sell. the value is. I, uh, Mitch Moreland would be a possibility. Brock hey. Holt. The, uh, I mean, it would be a soft sell. They okay. might even sell uh, J.D. Martinez. If they get the sense he's going to opt out. Or just if they sell. get if they get the sense he's going to opt out, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's interesting. interesting. Well, yeah, it'll be an interesting ten days. I think I have a. I'm going to do a quick prediction, real quick, of the team that's going to be most active at the deadline, or at least make the biggest deal. And I think it's going to be the Atlanta Braves. I think they're going to swing for a big starter, either Matt Boyd 
you know, if Madison Bumgarner becomes available, someone like Owen Marcus. Oh, Stroman, yeah, he would he would absolutely fit in Atlanta. Yeah, I think one of those three guys can end up in Atlanta. I think that they have the, the prospects. I think they feel like the time is right with the Keuchel signing. I think they can get a starter, maybe a reliever from the Giants, depending on what plays out. They have the perfect elements to get a big player, and I think they're going to see their time is now to make that move. So I think, I think if I had to predict, I would say that the biggest move is going to be the Yankees trading for Madison Bumgarner. Ooh, interesting. Clint Frazier? I just He's a perfect fit for them. He is uh, there too. Because they've got a lot of starting pitching that will be available next year, assuming Severino comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's great as a, a half-year rental, and they also know that they're going to make the playoffs which means they know that they're going to get him when he's best. And they know he's. Getting, they're also not going to have a one-game wild card, too. Right. Well, they don't need him for that. They'll have yeah. him for the rest of the playoffs. So yeah. I, I think that that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, well, it'll be an interesting interesting um, trade deadline, I think. I think there's going to be a lot of un- moves that no one's reporting on yet or people haven't been talked about that are going to be traded. I, I, think, I thought I think teams are going to get really creative with who they're going to try to trade for, and offer. I thought packages. one of the the bigger effects of the single trade deadline was that we would see more sort of small depth trades in mm-hmm. advance of the deadline because teams have to prepare for injury now because they can't do it in August. But that hasn't really materialized. Yeah, I I think part of that is. The fact that especially in the NL, everyone's trying to figure out whether they should be buyers or sellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's been a very slow deadline so far. But we still yeah. got the nine fastest or heaviest days to go. So we'll yep. see. We'll see. And it's a big big week for the Nats, too. I mean, they got the Rockies yep. for four, which is a nice reprieve from the, playing the Braves who are playing well. And between the Braves and the Dodgers, because the Rockies have really been playing poorly since the All-Star break. Um, yep, and then we got the Dodgers this weekend, and the Braves right after that. So I think that this is this is the last really hard part of the of the Nats schedule. Yeah. I think if they go six and four on this homestand, they'll be fine. Yeah. So you know they're starting to play for the wild card now. They're only a half game up on the second on the first wild card spot. Um, so it's going to be a tight race to the end, but we'll be here yep. to talk about it. All right. Well, All right. see you next week. Thanks for joining us. All right. Bye. Bye.